<clears throat> have you ever clicked on some of your so on social media? You click on your social media to see how your church family's doing, read scriptures they've posted in the day, different things. They have these crazy advertisements that come up there. Have you ever clicked on there and in that advertisement it was the exact thing you bought at Walmart two days ago? And you thought, how did my Facebook page know that I bought one of those things to advertise that on my social media? How did they do that? And it was just this past week, Tyler and I, he called me Thursday. He said, Dad, what are you doing in the morning? I said, I don't know yet. What do you want me to do? He said, well, I've got to go to the funeral home, and I wondered if you'd go with me. I said, absolutely, I'll go. We went and picked up the remains of that sweet little grandbaby, and he said, I need to go here and do a couple of things, and I said, I'll be glad to take you, take you wherever you need to go, do whatever you need to do. He went in a place. I was with him, and he bought something. And I came home, and later that evening, I pulled out my phone, and I clicked on Facebook, you will not believe what happened. The very thing he bought showed up on my advertisement list. It's almost like they know what we're doing. They know what's on our mind. They know what we're interested in. And they put it out there. Matt read a scripture this morning in opening assembly that said God knows our very thoughts. And here's what came to my mind. God knows our very thoughts and we are worried about what the government knows about us. And that very little verse of scripture turned into, in my mind, a God that knows our needs before we need them. This morning, I received a text message from a man that I pastored 10 years ago in Tennessee. He got a job and transferred to Raleigh, went to school at NC State, got his doctorate degree. His wife went on to school, worked for Duke. They've since moved out to the Midwest and are working out in the Midwest. And he texted me this morning, first time I've heard from him in a year and a half. The last time was November of 2017 when he texted to say, Happy Thanksgiving. But here's what he said this morning. He said, Preacher, I've had you on my mind for two weeks. And I've been praying for you. Here's the... Here's the gist of what I want to say. Through this entire process, Brother John, through this entire process that Sarah and Tyler have been through, I have yet to find the good. I've not seen it yet in my family. All I've seen is hurt and suffering and sorrow and pain. And I have said, Lord, I don't understand. I expressed this morning in open and assembly, I've not even been able to pray some days for just not knowing. 
But God said, that's all right. Advertisement popped up. Said, that's all right. I knew two weeks ago you wouldn't be able to pray. And I put you in the mind of a man that is halfway across the United States of America so that he could pray for you. Isn't that a great God? Isn't that a great God? And I just shared a little bit with him this morning and said, I love you and I hope your family's well. Pray for my boy. He said, man, my best friend went through the same thing two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. God, listen, I said all that to say this this morning. God knows every fiber of your being this morning. And He is making provision for you if you are His. If you are saved, God has already looked into your tomorrow and is already making provision for what you need before you know that you need it. The next time somebody calls or texts you and says, had you on my mind, you ought to say, Lord, thank you for thinking about me. Because chances are, Gerald Bergner, that I pastored over 10 years ago, would have never thought about me if it weren't for God putting me in His mind. What a God. What a God. Just understand, He's not small. He's not this little bitty God that sometimes we forget how big He is. He is a large God. And while I may never see the good in the situations that I have come through, it'll be for my good and for His glory, and I'm all right with that. Amen? John chapter number 11 this morning, if you have your Bibles, John chapter number 11, I want to give you what is in my heart. It seems like that even on Sundays, I've been in the book of John a lot. We are preaching through this book on Wednesday nights. And I promise you when we come to these passages that I've preached on Sunday mornings, I'll do my best to not preach them again and go to the next verses. But this is what is in my heart this morning. And I want to share it with you. I heard a preacher say years ago, if a verse of Scripture is helping me, then it'll probably help you too. Amen? And you may not be going through what I'm going through and what my family is going through. And I may not be going through what you and your family are going through. But Scripture is our help. It is there to help us. John Chapter number 11, look at verse number 32. The Bible said, Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? 
they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold, how he loved him. Some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Father, I thank you this morning for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy toward me, Lord, according to the scriptures that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, my mind cannot fathom that. My mind cannot understand, Lord, why you would send your only begotten Son who was perfect and pure and holy and righteous. And God, you let him take upon himself of the form of sinful man, God, to die for the sins of sinful men and women, boys and girls. And Lord, he died knowing that we were sinners. And he died that we might live and be righteous and holy and just and good and pure and perfect as he is. Lord, while my mind cannot understand it, Father, this morning I am grateful, Lord, that your plan was to send him to die for sinners. This morning I pray as we come before you, Lord, there are other scriptures in your word. This scripture that I've read today being one of them that my mind cannot fathom and it cannot understand completely. But Lord, it is another scripture that you have given me to help me in my life that I am grateful for. And I pray this morning you would help me to express the words that you've given us to your people that it may be a help and a comfort to them. And Lord, somehow through this message, help me, Lord, to present a gospel, Lord, that would be easily understood and a gospel that would draw sinners to yourself, understanding, God, that in our flesh we can do nothing to be saved. But Lord, through the drawing power of the Holy Spirit of God, all men everywhere can be. Help me to present that message this morning through this text. I love you and I thank you for who you are. And I thank you for what you're doing. Even though I don't understand it, I thank you for it. And I ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Obviously, my heart has been drawn to verse number 35 where the Bible said that Jesus wept in a time and in a season in my life where I have done much weeping. I am grateful that I'm able to stand before you this morning without weeping, just to be honest with you. Yesterday was a very emotional day for me. Seemed like others around me handled it much better than I did, but it has been an emotional weeping time in my life. And my heart... I was drawn to this text trying to understand how that Jesus wept and uh, what exactly it was that caused Jesus to weep. And I would pray this morning that as we look at the text, knowing that some of your hearts are going through things, maybe it's not a death, maybe it's not a great sickness, but you're going through things, difficulties in your life that have sent you into a season of much weeping. 
I have spent time answering phone calls from some of you that when I said hello on the other end, weeping is what I have heard. I have talked to some of you where we have sat in recent days weeping together. Loved ones no longer in our lives in the places where they once were. Time is marching forward and time is changing our very lives as we know them. And the same holds true for the text that I have read to you this morning. We know the story. Lazarus fell sick. Uh, the word came to Jesus uh, that your friend Lazarus is sick. And the Bible said uh, that Jesus did not go straight to Lazarus, but he tarried. And after a little while, uh, the Bible said Lazarus died. And in that moment, uh, Jesus told his disciples, uh, Lazarus sleepeth. Uh, he made them to believe that Lazarus uh, was only sleeping. It is the term uh, that we use when a child of God uh, leaves this life into the next one. It is easier than referring to death. Death sounds so final and so cold and so cruel, but the Bible said uh, that he sleepeth. Uh, listen, I want you to know uh, that the psalmist, or rather, uh, yes, the psalmist in chapter 30 and verse number five said, weeping may endure uh, for the night. He said, but joy cometh in the morning. Uh, when sleep ends and we awake, uh, uh, the weeping will end uh, and joy will be present in our lives. The story goes on. And the story says that Mary, Mary and Martha came to meet him. Martha first. Lord, had you have been here, she said, my brother would not have died. She said it in a tone that was not a pleasing tone. Later, Mary said the same words. Lord, had you have been here, she said it in a humble tone. They confronted the master over the death of their brother. The Bible said when he saw her weeping and when he saw the Jews weeping, the Bible said Jesus wept. I am comforted to know this morning that when I answered the phone for some of you and heard you weeping on the other end, I am comforted to know that Jesus weeps also. Not because Jesus wept specifically for himself, but the Bible said when he saw them weeping, Jesus wept. I wondered why, why Jesus, uh, the creator of the universe, for the Bible said uh, that Christ without him was not anything made that was made. Christ was there in the beginning. Christ helped form the heavens and the earth. Christ hung the stars and the moon and the sun. Christ put the mountains where they go and the rivers running where they're supposed to be. Christ formed man out of the dust of the ground with his hand. Not anything was made that was made without him. The creator of everything wept. Brother John, the captain of the Lord's host, wept when they wept. The wonderful counselor 
The mighty God, the Prince of Peace, uh, the Everlasting Father, uh, as big as you can make Him this morning, uh, as large as you can see Him, He wept when they wept. But I wondered what would make a large God weep. Verse 11 of chapter number 11 uh, the Bible said this uh, concerning, uh, concerning these things. He said, these things, he said he, and after that he saith unto them, listen, our friend. The Bible said in John 15, greater love hath no man than this, than that a man would lay down his life for his Friends, I want you to understand this this morning. I'm not trying to uproot every bit of preaching you've ever heard, but I need you to understand what that verse means. It does not mean that Matt would take a bullet for me or that I would take a bullet for Matt or that a soldier would die for our freedom in this country. That text means there is a Savior who would roll upon himself uh, the sins of all mankind uh, and that he would die for those sins uh, knowing uh, that he committed none of them uh, but he would die innocently uh, and substitutionary uh, for sins he did not commit. That is the love that he displayed for his friends. His friends. Amen. Call all right this morning. I'm telling you, I'm enjoying preaching. I have enjoyed being at church this morning. Amen. Seeing your faces is helping me. Well, most of you. Amen. I look at Brother John when I say that. It looks like I'm looking at you, Chip. I'm not. Listen. A Savior. A Savior that called called those that would believe on him friends. In our culture, in our culture, particularly in churches, but not only in churches, we have adopted terminology that is ugly. It's just ugly terminology. Here's what we say. I see that click. That's the word we use. Could I just inform you of something? Those people that are being referred to as cliques do not feel like they're being a clique. They have developed friendships. Friendships. And they're just being friendly with one another. Why? Because people have different interests and people talk about different things and people are different ages and people are interested in different things and sometimes when those interests come together and are common, they develop friendships. And I'm not mad at you for the friends you have. Did you know, it got real quiet right there. I did not mean for that to be ugly, but listen to me. Listen to me. Did you know that had Jesus and the 12 disciples walked in the year 2019 into the Baptist church, they would have been called a clique. They walked together. 
They ate together. They talked together. They fellowshiped. They communed. They worked together because there was a common bond. And within them, there was a brotherhood that brought them together according to the will of God. And they were friends. And friends, they would have went to battle for one another and fought for one another because of the bond of friendship. bond of friendship. Now listen, all of that was not to say things about cliques. All of that was to say Jesus wept because of the bond of friendship. You will not find other than when Jesus wept over Jerusalem, you will not find in the text where he wept the same way ever again the way he wept over his friend. You will not. You know it's easy for me to pick out who in this church are friends with each other. It's easy to pick out. And you know what's funny is I don't ever look at anybody and say, man, they're up to something because they're talking to each other. I just think, man, what a friendship. What a friendship. Me, Me and John Morris, we don't talk to each other outside of church hardly ever. He'll send me a text that says, hey, I want to remind you that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I'll text back and say, glory! That's the extent of our conversation outside of church at Landis Baptist Church. But let me tell you this. I consider that man my dear friend. He's prayed for me. He sought God for me. He's encouraged me. He's lifted me when I was down. He's been there for me in difficult times. And I count him as my friend, even though we don't hang out together. And there is a bond in friendship uh, that Jesus demonstrated uh, between him and Lazarus uh, that he loved him so much uh, that it caused him to weep. The word weep in our text to understand exactly what Jesus is doing. It is not that wailing, crying, whoa, weeping. It is not that. The word wept in our text is literally to shed tears. The tears ran down the face. The tears dripped into his beard and the tears were shed with compassion and they were shed with love. They were shed with humility, not because of what some crazy southern gospel song says that he wept because he had to bring Lazarus back. He wept because Lazarus was his friend and Lazarus died and his heart hurt and he demonstrated the doctrine of humility more than he ever did when he wept for his friend, when he simply cried, the Bible said he groaned. And the Bible said he was troubled. Why? He was troubled for his friend. Lazarus was dead, and Jesus was troubled. I say this and I I realize I'm running the risk of 
putting myself and him both in jeopardy. But because of ages, times that we're grown up in, culture at those times, Matt Jester and I are close friends. I don't care to tell you, I don't care to tell you that he is my close friend. And uh, I don't care to tell you that if he died, I would weep bitterly at the loss of my friend. You didn't hear him, but he said, I better. Amen. <laughs> Just for that, I'm bringing a straight pen to the funeral. Amen. We'll gouge him a little bit. But listen, and some of you, some of you, I don't know who your best friends are, but I've seen you demonstrate relationships with other people in the church that I would know there are certain people that if they died, it would break your heart and you would weep bitterly over the loss of that friend. You would weep in a way that you would not weep over someone else. Not only have I seen the friendships demonstrated, but I have seen the weeping demonstrated as I've stood in this place preaching funerals and watching your faces break with tears for some and just your heart moved with compassion for others. But yet the tears never flowed. Is that bad, preacher? Not at all. The weeping that is being read in our text is a weeping that took place over the bond of a friendship. The bond of a friendship. You reckon, you reckon uh, uh, Luke got mad because Jesus wept at Lazarus' funeral and didn't weep at somebody else's? I doubt it. That's not the point of the text at all. The point of the text is for you and I to understand that friendships are necessary and that friendships are good and that friendships create bonds that will cause our Savior to weep for us. He has called us His friends and He weeps when we weep and He hurts when we hurt and He does all that He does because of His children. Now, I've done all that preaching and I've not read one word of my notes. Not one. When we look at verse number 11 and we understand that it is about a relationship between Jesus and Lazarus, there's not another person in Scripture that we see this relationship with that he has with Lazarus. Nobody else. Nobody else. But yet in John 15... He said he laid down his life for his friends. For his friends. If you are in this building this morning and you have asked Jesus to save you and you're satisfied that he has, he laid down his life for you, friend. Friend. Now watch this, watch this, watch this. Judas betrayed him with a kiss. Judas sold him for 30 pieces of silver. The Bible said that Judas was a devil from the beginning. 
The Bible said that Judas hung himself and went to his own place. But let me tell you what else the Bible says. The Bible said that when Jesus, or when Judas rather, walked into that garden where Jesus was and betrayed him with a kiss, Christ greeted him with one word, and that word was friend. Friend. Do I believe Judas was saved? I do not. I don't believe Judas was ever born again. I don't believe Judas was ever close to being born again. So what does that tell us, preacher? Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Listen, did you know the Bible said this of Jesus? They called him a friend of sinners. Of sinners. What I'm telling you this morning is simple. Jesus wept for his friend. And if Jesus wept for his friend and Jesus was a friend of sinners and Jesus died for his friends, I'm telling you, if you're a sinner, you've got the opportunity to be saved. The privilege is in front of you. The gospel is being preached to you. If you'll respond and come to him, he'll save you and he'll weep with you and he'll hurt with you. He'll cry with you. He'll feel all that you feel with you. He wept for a friend. He wept for a friend. Listen. While I can call Matt or any of my other friends in this building, all this is what's crazy. I don't consider any of y'all enemies. That's what's crazy. That's what I don't understand about friendships and relationships and all of the terminology that we use toward people. I don't understand any of it. There's another fellow right there, Robert Little, that me and him don't talk, we don't hang out. But when we greet each other, he'll say, I love you, friend. He's my friend. Jacob's 20 years younger than I am. But listen, I can call him on the phone and talk to him like a friend. And uh, listen, I was going somewhere. And the reality is this, is, as the closest friend or the friend that's the furthest away from us, that friend that we only call them when we need them, no matter who they are, and the Bible said in the book of Proverbs, for a man to have friends, he must first show himself friendly. But the Bible said this, but there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. When the others kick out, and they use that bad terminology about you. I have a friend in Jesus. Amen. I could call Matt. I could call John. I could call Brother Phil. I could call John or uh, Rodney. I could call any one of you. And I could say, man, I'm going through some stuff. I need you to pray for me. Well, what is it, preacher, that you're going through? Well, I can't, I can't get into that. I just need you to pray for me. Call any one of them and tell them that. But could I tell you that I have a friend <laughs> that I can go to and I don't have to say, Jesus, I'm going through some stuff. <laughs> I can go to him and say, Lord, 
My son has lost a baby. Uh, and Lord, my daughter uh, is facing this at church. And I can say, Lord, uh, I don't understand why this is happening. Uh, I can tell him everything uh, and anything that I need to tell him. And the Bible said he'll stick like glue closer than a brother. He'll stay there. The question was raised from somebody this week I was texting with about why it is that the attack upon Christians has changed to coming from within instead of without. I don't know the answer to that. It used to be Here is where the help was. Now, people have to come to church nervous, wondering if they'll be confronted by brother so-and-so or wondering if they'll be hit with something they weren't expecting. And it has become a place where we attack each other. Friendships had diminished. Why? Most of the time, most of the time there's really no reason why. Most of the time friendships diminished over a sin or, or over something somebody didn't like. And somebody said, well, I'm not going to be his friend anymore because he did something I didn't like. And by the way, this message is nowhere near what it set out to be, but I'm trying to just follow the Lord. And those friendships diminish. Because one fellow said, I don't like what that fellow did. Well, what if that fellow said he didn't like what you did? Would that change anything at all? Would that change anything at all if you said, hey, you did this, and I looked back at you and said, yeah, but you did that? More than likely it wouldn't. Wouldn't change anything. Because the attacks have changed, have moved. Jesus wept for his friend. Let me tell you what else Jesus wept for. He wept for a family. He met Martha first. Martha, I'm telling you, your brother's going to live again at the resurrection. She said, I know he's going to live again at the resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection. Then he pointed as some words directly at her. At her brother's funeral, he said, Martha, believest thou this? Do you believe that if a man trusts in me and that he lives for me and that when he dies at the resurrection, he'll live again and he'll live forever? Martha, do you believe? Yea, Lord, I believe. I said, I believe. I wonder if she really ever did, though, until Lazarus come out of the tomb. Doesn't, the Scripture doesn't give the appearance that she really, really believed until Lazarus was out of the tomb sitting at the table. Then Martha was working hard. She believed the Lord. But Jesus wept for the family. He didn't just weep because his friend was dead. He wept because his friend's family was hurting. And it caused him to hurt. He knew the love that he had for Mary and he knew the love that Mary had for him. And he knew that they were right in what they're saying. Had he have come, 
sooner, he wouldn't have to be weeping. Let me read you something that I wrote down that I thought was tremendous, tremendous concerning this. He enters into sorrow that could have been prevented. He entered into a weeping state that he could have stopped. He didn't have to be sorrowful. He didn't have to be hurting. He didn't have to be crying. He could have stopped it. But there was good for them and glory to the Father that must be given. Watch. He entered in to this sorrow that he could have prevented in such a way that he gasped and his whole body shudders and he begins to weep. He experienced, listen, can I remind you that the writer of Hebrews said that we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. We do have a high priest that feels what we feel, that knows what we're going through, that understands our pain. And listen, his humanity in the story of Lazarus is one reason why he can. He felt their pain that he could have avoided. He could have avoided everything. Yet in every point, the Bible said, tempted as we are, yet without sin. He could have avoided that. But now he understands. He understands what you're going through. He understands it. He understands us. Brother Jess come to my mind. And being up there that day, with the family when Brother Jeff, Jess left this world into the next one. And I, I can see in my mind, I can see tears on the face of families. Could I say, Miss Betty, that Jesus wept because of families? He wept that when you get to that place and you don't understand what you're going through and you don't understand why you're having to go through it, Jesus wept so that He can comfort you, so that He can feel your tears, so that He can understand your pain. He wept when He didn't have to. He wept for you as His friend. And he wept for your family because they hurt. But listen, and I'm going to be done. He wept to the Father on behalf of unbelievers. See the text on down. I didn't read it all the way down. But on down, the Bible said he told them to take away the stone. They removed the stone. There's an open tomb. Here's evidence. Here's evidence that Martha didn't really believe until Lazarus come out of the tomb. Martha said, Lord, by now, he surely stinketh. That is not, that is not a sentence of faith that he is who he said he is. Are you listening to me? There's a lot of times we say we believe and we say, but Lord, he's stinking by now. So we really don't believe. But Jesus didn't just weep for a friend. He didn't just weep for a family. But he wept to the Father on behalf of those that were standing around a graveside that day that would believe. He said, Father, he's doing all of this for his glory. He's praying for those that would believe because of what they're about to see in Lazarus. He's weeping to the Father. 
Not just demonstrating his humanity in that he feels what we feel, but demonstrating that in that humanity, while we are feeling what we feel, that we should weep as he wept unto the Father. We should weep as he wept. Father, I don't understand. He weeps in a manner that demonstrates love beyond anything I've ever experienced in the human realm. As a matter of fact, after the Bible said Jesus wept, the Jews said, Behold how he loved him. His weeping was a demonstration of his love toward that friend. His weeping was a demonstration of his love toward that family. His weeping to the Father was a demonstration of His love toward those that had not yet believed. Now hearing me, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He demonstrates that love in his weeping wept for a friend. Kara, I'd weep for you. Count you my friend. I'd weep for your whole family. I love all of you. I'd weep for y'all. Matter of fact, guess what? I'd weep for this whole section. And I'd weep for this whole section. And I'd weep for this whole section and this whole section and that whole section and that whole section and wherever else anybody might be in here this morning. I'd weep for you. Why? Because of a God-given love that is in my heart for you. I wonder when the last time, I wonder when the last time Jesus' friends have wept unto the Father for sinners like he wept to the Father for sinners that day. He demonstrated that we ought to be doing that. Didn't he? You read the little prayer that he prayed. He prayed that the Father would get glory out of what's taking place. And you read that little prayer after he said that. And, and uh, the Bible said down through there that he prayed... Uh, uh, very, very much so for those that will believe when all of this takes place with Lazarus coming forth. The picture of Lazarus coming forth of the grave is a beautiful picture of the salvation experience. Lazarus, come forth. Come forth. Come forth. The Bible said, and Lazarus came forth. He was bound. We're bound in sin. Loose him. Let him go. All works of the Holy Spirit of God. I don't know that. He about had to have floated out of there, I reckon. If he didn't, he had some work to do. If he had to work that hard, we could twist this scripture into saying it's a work of salvation. Amen. We could if he had to we could say Lazarus did it all. But he moved at the command of Jesus.
We moved at the command of the Holy Spirit of God and the conviction of our sin. That's what moves us. Friend, that's what moves us. And just like Lazarus, we come to him bound in our trespasses and sin and we have to trust wholly that Christ will loose the grave clothes that has us. It's about believing. It's about repentance. It's about coming to him. Letting him free us from the bondage of sin. He wept because he wanted sinners to know him. Listen, I'm just glad he wept. It encourages my heart to know that he wept. John 17 displays that he prays for those that get saved. It's what he prays for. He said, matter of fact, he said clearly, I pray not for those of the world in John 17. He's not praying for lost people in John 17. He's praying for saved people. And that thrills my soul to know that he wept for sinners. And then after sinners would get saved, he'd pray for those that would get saved. It's a blessing. I don't know who they are. I don't know how it works. I don't understand all of it. But I know that he said he had saved sinners. And he said that everybody that come to him, he didn't know why he cast them out. He would save sinners. And he prayed that God would save them. Have we wept like that? Have we wept for our families that are hurting? I know many of you have wept with me and my family. You've called me or you've hugged me or you've shook my hand going out the door with tears running down your face and said, Preacher, I'm praying for you. You've wept with us. You've wept for the family. You've wept for your friends. But will we weep to the Father for sinners? Will we weep to Him? God save sinners. If I ever get to the point where I don't want to preach God and save sinners anymore, I want to quit. Amen. That's Christ weeping. Verse 35 of John 11 says, Jesus wept. These are three simple things that I believe caused him to weep for a friend, for a family. And to the Father. This morning, I know, I can scan this crowd and I can see lives that are hurting. I can hear phone calls in my ears. I can hear, I can hear weeping through the phone line. I can see tears running down faces. I can remember conversations I've had just this morning of weeping in my friends and weeping in families. All of this, all of this ordained of God. He wept for you, friend. He's wept for you, friend. He's wept for your family. He's wept for your lost loved ones to the Father. To the Father. Let me read you something else. I could preach this whole message I've got written down and you'd never know it was the same one. But listen. The Bible said this in John chapter 1 and verse number 18. No man had seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. You get that? No man had seen God at any time. The only begotten Son. He put them 
as the same. No man has seen the Father at any time, the only begotten Son. Now watch this, watch this. Literally, literally, since Jesus knows our pain, God the Father knows our pain. So here's, here's what Jesus is. Jesus is literally the exegesis of God. It's a great old big word that if you ain't never studied hermeneutics or homiletics, you won't have a clue what he's talking about. But exegesis is this. I want to give you the definition exactly like it is. Exegesis in the text is the explanation or the interpretation of the text. It is literally what you draw out of the text. You're not reading anything into it. You're not putting anything in between the lines. You literally read out what the text says. Draw out what the Bible says. That is the exegesis. Christ said, or the Bible said rather, that Jesus and God are the same. So literally, Jesus becomes the exegesis of God. He is literally what is drawn out of God. He is literally the explanation or the interpretation of who God is. It's God in flesh. It's not another form of God. It is not an aspiration of God. It is not a delusion of God. It is literally if you could reach in God and draw out the essence of who He is, Jesus is what you'd see. He is the exegesis. So what I'm saying to you is God has wept for you. He's wept for your family. And He's wept to the Father for your lost loved ones, for your lost friends, your lost family members. He's wept. For you. When he saw them weeping, Jesus wept. I believe the Bible said that Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And if he wept at the death of his friend Lazarus, I'm positive he would weep when his friends are hurting. And this morning, I would say to you, Whatever you're going through, there is a God who cares. He cares enough to shed tears on your behalf. I've cried in recent days more than I've cried in a long period of time. But Brother John, my crying has not been for me. It has not been <laughs> over my hurt. My crying has been for my son and for his wife. When I look at their sweet young faces and I wonder why I weep for them. When I see my boy holding a little nine and a half ounce baby, rocking it, I wept for him. Listen, listen. Christ did not weep for himself. He wept for Lazarus, his friend. He wept for Mary and Martha, the family. He wept to the Father because he knew that's where the help was. This morning, he hears your weeping. I'll get done in a minute, I promise. Have you ever, have you ever, 
knew that your kids were going through something or either you made them mad or something to that effect and they run to their room and they shut the door and your mind's battling, should I go in there and check on them or should I just leave them alone and then from the other room you hear, <laughs> y'all ever been there? I have. Hearing my children from another room with the door closed and their face matted in their hands or stuffed in a pillow and from the other room I could still hear their weeping my heart would break he hears you weeping he knows why you're weeping he understands the hurt you're feeling he understands the hurt and on the other side of the door He's weeping with you. On the other side of the door, his heart is broken as much as yours is. In the other room, his tears are running down his face the same as the tears running down your face. I'm going to close with a phrase that I say all the time. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Some of you know him this morning. I can see it. I've seen you identify with those tears. I've seen your minds thinking back to a place where he wept with you. I've seen some of you in those experiences personally feeling the grace of God like you'd never felt it. But I would say this. Some of you are those that he's wept for when he wept for the Father. That God would help you to believe. Some of you are there. You've never seen him cry for your situation except for the crying he does on behalf of you as a sinner, he's wept to the Father. Let's stand to our feet. could go through the congregation this morning and I could start saying you're my friend, you're my friend, you're my friend. I'd certainly not call somebody right and I'd mess up and, and I'd make somebody upset. The Bible said that Jesus counted Lazarus a friend. The Bible said he was a friend of sinners. So no matter what condition you're in this morning, I believe if Jesus were here, he'd say, hello, friend, 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 hello, friend. He'd say, friend, I love you. Friend, it's good to see you. Friend, do you know that I died for you? Friend, I did it all for you. 
wept. Oh, he wept. Tears. Not just a wailing, crying out loud voice, but tears flooded his face for his friends, for their family, and to the Father. We're going to sing what a friend.